Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Elevate Music podcast. I'm Lucy Heyman and in this episode we'll be talking about money and I'll be chatting to artist, producer and composer Hannah Peel about everything from taking the financial leap to full-time artist to the financial support she'd like to see in the industry. Afterwards, we'll be speaking to the Musicians Union's Naomi Pohl about exposure gigs, industry support and more. So let's start by hearing from Hannah. I've always been quite good at kind of spreading costs and making sure I've got some savings in order to kind of fall back on. But sometimes you just can't help what life is going to throw at you. So there has been difficulties and massive ones, actually. The kind of the leap from me stopping teaching and going into doing my own music and my own album promotion and things. There was some tricky times there. So, yeah. Could you tell me a bit more about that in terms of how that actually sort of manifested? Yeah, so going from, I guess, even though I was self-employed, I had a regular income of students and this was when I was living in Liverpool. So it's going back like maybe 11, 12 years ago now. And, you know, when you take that away, you kind of, yeah, you're obviously left with a big gap. And and I suppose a lot of people will have experienced that because a lot of people maybe have two or three jobs to begin with and you end up juggling a lot and when you finally get to the point where I suppose I, I always called it tipping point because you know there's that point where you just cannot continue to work because your stress levels are so big and you're having demands with other things so I suppose the way I got myself out of it was by making sure that the rent I was paying was reasonable enough that I could survive I made adjustments you know eating was different I didn't go out as much I didn't I stopped drinking you know you 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 cut costs in order to make things work do you think that financial struggles are common in musicians is this something you see with the people you work with I would say yes because you're relying as a musician you're relying on other people to pay you but I, I think the biggest thing and one of the things that I really kind of it was like a kind of light moment like the idea bulb above your head was I tried to get a mobile phone contract. I'd had one and I wanted to move to like just a different network. And I went into the shop and they said, no, your credit rating is so low. You can't have a contract. And I was like, oh my God, so I can't get a mobile phone contract. And, you know, I'd always kind of been really, really careful. I didn't have a credit card. I didn't really have a kind of relationship with the banking system I didn't need it because I was always really, really careful. And and actually, I think that's a a massive struggle is to actually um, become aware that actually your credit rating is so low and what can you do about it? It's a real shock. You know, I'd been kind of professionally employed and everything else, but I still had this terrible credit rating, which meant I couldn't get a credit card. I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. And actually finding that financial balance and how to grow that relationship with the bank is is something I would say is a massive struggle for a lot of musicians because you want to stay safe. You don't want a bit of debt on your head. You don't want that, but you suddenly kind of realise that you have to play a bit of a game in order to be a normal working person. Did you have any support in terms of financial advice as a self-employed person? No, no, I didn't. I didn't know any of that. And it's definitely something that's missing in the industry. The only reason why I was able to solve that was someone very close to just said, you know, in uh, the commercial industry, this is what you do. And he actually helped me kind of apply for a really, really basic low credit card and build up that relationship 
you know, cancel it after a few months, pay it off and keep building things. But that was the kind of my first door into actually, how do you solve this problem? And, you know, I suppose one of the things I have learned over the last few years, and especially because I've been running my own record label in order to release my records, is you need to be so organized and you need to have spreadsheets and <laughs> you need to know where the money's coming from and what's going out just so you can keep an eye on it and so that, you you know, you're not missing an invoice to somebody or you're not losing out on something. And once I started doing that, then I've really kind of kept it on with every project I've done. I've just kept an, you know, a very basic spreadsheet of the costs. And especially now with working on films and things, you have to budget for the musicians and everything that comes with presenting your score. But yeah, no, I didn't have any help. It's been a, a massive learning curve and it would have been great to have some. So you mentioned the spreadsheets there. How else do you manage your money when it's quite erratic? I have a good manager <laughs> that reminds me. But actually, the the biggest thing in the last few years that I've been able to do is I got a bookkeeper. And I mean, before that, I was always very good at keeping receipts and filing them away and making sure that I really kept on top of kind of tax returns and stuff. But actually, since I've had a bookkeeper, it's been a lot, lot easier I've moved everything to digital, which has kept everything online. So I use a banking um, system called Xero with an X, X-E-R-O. And you're able to keep track of your expenses and your income and keep track of invoices that aren't paid because you can mark them off when they have been paid. But yeah, I've got a great manager as well that reminds me and actually does the kind of the financial bit, which a lot of a lot of artists feel they don't have a kind of like the confidence to do, you know, it's, it's hard emailing somebody and chasing for a bill to be paid. And it's really difficult because it kind of separates you from the artist side. You don't want to be the person going, Hey, you haven't paid me. Hey, you haven't paid me, which can happen a lot. So yeah, having, you know, that kind of buffer, even if you don't have a manager, even if you're just starting out and you've got a friend who's really good at that, it's, it really, really helps and it helps you keep some distance as well. And maybe, you know, also it helps you up a fee if you need it, because I think a lot of us are quite self-depreciative in what we're worth and the years that it's taken to train and be a musician. So could you tell me from a cash flow perspective, how does it work as a musician in terms of like how long does it take for people to pay you? So say you do like a festival gig or a gig generally, how, how, how much time would you see would pass until you actually get paid? I would say now, I mean, there's always a kind of deadline of a month, 30 days, and it normally is exactly 30 days for a lot of companies. You know, sometimes it's been a lot longer. You know, I had a sink that was on an American TV show and six months later, we're still waiting for that money to be paid. And, you know, that's, there's publishers chasing, there's my manager chasing. And unfortunately, apparently it's just the way that the TV companies are starting to operate, which is something that, I'm wanting to see if we can put a clause in that if you license a piece of music, you have to pay with it within a certain deadline of its airing. Because, you know, a lot of people can just put a piece of music in and then and then agree something in roughly, but then they don't honour that by paying you. And it's a big thing because a lot of the money at the moment is a lot of artists are finding that syncs on TV and having your track licensed is a really good money earner and a way to keep you afloat as well when, you know, obviously record sales have changed a lot over the last few years. 
So you mentioned sinks there, and I know that some artists have been approached to use their music for no fee for an exposure point of view. Um, and I'm aware that obviously some festivals do this as well. Have you had any experience of that? Yeah, definitely. It's changed a lot over the last few years, and maybe that's just because my profiles got bigger. Um, I've had less of that, or maybe I've just got the courage to just say no. But, you know, for example, if I'm asked to do a remix and the other artist doesn't have much money, which for an album campaign is is actually quite low at the moment, you know, there's ways around it. You kind of split the publishing or something that it makes it feel palatable. And yeah, that remix, generally remixes don't do very much, but sometimes they do and they'll, they'll be put on streaming. So you know that you're not going to get much income back and that kind of exposure is there. But yeah, I mean, in the past I was asked to do gigs and you know they weren't paid and actually like actually asked to do one last year and I just said flat no I'm not doing it unless I get paid and then they came back and offered a fee (laughs) so I think you've got to know your worth but there is a point that you get to that you don't want to do anything for exposure you don't need the exposure but actually when you're starting out it's you can't be demanding fees because maybe that person that's putting a gig on you've you've only played two gigs and you're not going to bring the audience there that's going to pay for the on the door fee or pay for the the beer to be drank do you know what I mean it's it's a real balance but I think the the thing to is worth remembering is that when you hit a point you're like no this is this has to stop and some people will take advantage and you've got to kind of know what you're getting out of it and balance it really I know that you've had some support from the industry financially in terms of developing your career. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? I applied quite a few years ago, actually, now to the Momentum Fund, which is a PRS foundation fund. I think it's been going for about six years now. And I was one of the first to apply for it, only because Vanessa, who was running the PRSF at that time, had said, you know, maybe this would suit you. And that is a grant that many many artists now have applied for it's one that helps you tour live it can help you pay for videos and marketing usually PR it can help for like mastering costs or even getting vinyl manufactured just anything to help kind of grow your your business basically it was really amazing but yeah I got that quite a long time ago and actually one of the things that kind of came out of it was I wish I'd been able to go back and get some more but you can't go back once you get it so you've kind of got to go for it at the right time and make sure it's the right time for you. So what did that fund enable you to do? It enabled me to actually finish my second album which took about four years to get round to actually thinking about previous to applying for the grant so it allowed me to pay for recording time, mixing, mastering And then I had a bit of budget left over for making a video and and a bit left for marketing and then everything that kind of came around that record. So in my mind and what I'd applied for was that I was going to then present this to labels and see if I could start getting kind of motion going. But I just kept hitting a brick wall. So I ended up actually releasing it myself and setting up my own kind of little label. And actually it works so well that I've done it ever since. So it really kind of changed something for me, like massively, instead of kind of like knocking on doors and kind of getting turned away and things, it it just allowed me to be a lot 
freer. I used the knowledge that I knew and, you know, my manager as well, my publishers, everybody chipped in and everybody helped and everybody advised and the press agency were brilliant. You know, without that fund, that wouldn't have been possible at all. Am I right in thinking that you were able to get support to tour with a brass band? Yes, so um, that was with the Arts Council. Brass bands are not cheap. And sadly, it's a kind of a, a diminishing type of art form as well, but in also a positive way that makes it very good for funding because, you know, it needs arts funding in order to help promote it. So yeah, 30 brass players wasn't an easy thing to fund. So thankfully, the Arts Council funding helped pay for the manufacturer of the vinyl. It helped pay for the brass bands. So all those musicians all got a fee. The recording was done in kind from Real World Studios, which was amazing because they brought all the gear up to Yorkshire and recorded the brass band in Barnsley in a, in a beautiful theatre there. So there was quite a lot of balance. You know, the I applied for, I think it was £15,000, which seems like a lot of money. But actually, when you start to take off four grand for the brass band, then you take off a grand and a half for mastering. And then you've got your manufacturer of vinyl. It's like four grand. <laughs> you haven't got much left. So getting those in-kind things from people like the space because the space in Barnsley they were just really wanting people to use it and it was just really wonderful that they allowed me to be there and obviously the recording you know that was a real world people brought up a kind of like 250 grand (laughs) desk and microphones to record this so you need a kind of balance of in kind so you know when I went to the arts council it wasn't just about it was like you have to help (laughs) this is not going to happen otherwise so yeah I feel very lucky and honoured that they chose it to fund. So what's the process like of applying for those funds? Is it difficult to get the money? Yes, (laughs) it's not simple. Have you got any Um, advice for anyone listening who might want to apply to something similar? Yeah, I mean, I would say go in person and see if you can get a meeting and talk to people, um, talk to the people that are giving the grants. And, you know, it's not kind of like going and begging or anything like it's literally to find out what you need to think about for your project basically you know how are you going to structure it what's the kind of the outcomes of it and finding out if it's actually something that would you know be palatable for funding as well because certain things aren't and you don't want to be filling in a huge application form and then be turned away because it's not suitable so to actually go and have this conversation in the very beginning is really important. Did you find any advice anywhere on how to fill out those forms? No, not not online or anything. But I think when you start doing a few, you start to learn a few tricks and how to how to write as well, because it's quite hard to write in like third person <laughs> and look at the project as an overall. Like because when we're creating art, we're very emotionally attached to it, and to separate our brains into the kind of financial and the emotional side is is really really difficult you you kind of have to train your brain to do it but you know again the people for example the arts council very open to if I was struggling with something I was able to go and ask like is this something I can put in is this something that should be there and really it's all about clarity it's making sure everything is in its simplest form and it's the clarity is there so when somebody who doesn't know anything about your project looks at it they get a real sense of it very quickly so you mentioned before about 
how it would have been really helpful to have someone who you could go to for financial advice. Is there anything else that you think the industry could do to better support artists with their financial situation? I think it would be amazing if if you could get assigned a mentor in some respects. I don't think there's kind of room for that in the industry at the moment. You know, you think about like back to years and years ago, you know, if you were an artist, you had a kind of mentor teacher that taught you that kind of world. You know, the way we are at the moment, it's easy to get a laptop and get a a plug-in and get things, software on your computer and make stuff and then, you know, whip it up onto the internet. That's all easy. But actually, like, having someone to advise you and just say, well, this is the way it's worked for me would be, you know, I think amazing mainly because then you learn quicker rather than having to constantly make mistakes in order to learn. But, you know, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think it's good to learn from mistakes and develop. But um, it would be amazing to have someone who's a mentor that looks at you as a person rather than as an overall group or, or a genre or you know, it would be, I mean, then then you would get maybe a bit of advice on business and what they've done and learned from. Do you have savings? Are you able to save in case, you know, something happens in the future, which means you were unable to earn? I would say no. (laughs) Well, a few things there. A few years ago, I got a sink from some royalties of a track being played on TV. And at the time, I was lucky enough to be able to put that away. And that became my savings. And, you know, at And I was like, right, I'm going to put into this account, you know, £10 a week or something just to start me off. And I did. And actually, I I used that uh, fund to be able to pay for certain things. So actually, it's not savings anymore. It's kind of my my dipping in. (laughs) But yeah, I think like, even for myself, like, I've not got a pension. You know, I haven't thought about that. And I haven't felt until probably this last year, in a place that in order to actually even think about having a pension and think about sparing money to go elsewhere. I think one of the really nice things about when you have your own songs that are played on radio and things, you get, I suppose, a type of pension in that respect, a type of savings account. You know, it's this money that kind of drips in every now and again if you've had enough plays and things. Do you think that is something that is common with musicians? Do you think many musicians are able to save and put money towards a pension? Yes, (laughs) I think it's a massive thing. Do you know what? I think the main problem for me was always, as soon as I had any money, I wanted to spend it on synthesizers. So so I think there's definitely like, you know, once you get a bit of money, you're like, I really want that guitar and that guitar is going to help me do this or that piano is going to help me perform this and there's definitely an element of like always trying to expand and build on things but I suppose the beauty of that is it's capital you know it's things that if you are struggling and you don't use it anymore you can sell it on but I do think that I don't know many of my friends that have pensions I don't know if they save or if they're lucky to have parents support them or not but whoever I've kind of spoken to about it we've always kind of said no I haven't got a pension So what advice would you give to a musician starting out now in terms of looking after their finances? I would say probably the most boring answer is to start looking into how you keep a spreadsheet. Looking at your finances on a daily basis, how much you're spending, how much is going out, how much is going in and just working out where holes are or maybe where you need to, you know, improve and build upon 
that would be the very, very first thing I would suggest to anybody. And I know that's a really boring thing. <laughs> you probably like it's the last thing some people want to do, but it trains you into thinking like that because at the end of the day, if you want to sustain a career, you have to think like a business person. You have to think like an entrepreneur. You have to think of new ideas and you have to think of ways that that can work and sustain and where that money comes from. I would just say starting early is the the best thing. And also from my own experience, I would look at getting a really, really low cost credit card and getting it and having one for like six months, using it, paying it off every month diligently, making sure there is no overlapping in debt. Once you've paid it off, cancel it and get another one and really build up that financial relationship with with the banks, with what you're going to need in the future. And finally, what do you love about your music career? (laughs) Everything. (laughs) I love the possibility. I love the idea of like, you can create something out of nothing. It's so magical. And you get to work with these amazing people that really care about it as well. And yeah, it's just everybody wants to do something and it's really beautiful. It's great. This episode of the Elevate Music podcast is supported by Help Musicians, an independent charity that's been supporting musicians for nearly 100 years. Through an integrated program of health and welfare and creative funding opportunities, the charity offers a lifetime of support when it's needed most. For more information on Help Musicians or to find out how to access support, visit helpmusicians.org.uk. Thanks for all your feedback on the podcast. Richie Muirhead tweeted, enjoying the Elevate Music podcast series, a great insight into keeping healthy physically and mentally whilst on tour, plus dealing with the highs and lows of working in the music sector. So remember, you can contact us on Twitter and Instagram at Elevate Music Pod, or you can send us an email at elevatemusicpod at gmail.com. So now let's hear from Naomi Pohl, the Deputy General Secretary at the Musicians Union. What are the common financial issues that you see in musicians? Well, you know, our members typically earn kind of £20,000-ish on average from music. So it's not kind of super high earning. And obviously, people at the beginning of their careers don't necessarily know how to manage their money very well. A lot of our members sometimes feel ashamed asking for money almost. So people get presented with unpaid work opportunities earlier on in their career, feel that they have to go go along with those um, in order to get exposure. But obviously, if you're going to do a gig for exposure and not for money, you need to know that you're actually going to get something back and that the exposure will actually lead to genuine opportunities. Our members are often not paid. Pledge Music's just gone down the tubes and that was a crowdfunding site. So even something like crowdfunding, which seemed like quite a safe option and a really positive option for artists, it's not completely uh, stable. So there's a lot of advice and support we can give, but they have all sorts of problems related to money. So you mentioned exposure gigs there. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, so we've actually got a campaign called Work Not Play, which is essentially about music being a profession and not a hobby. Even the 2012 Olympics actually put out a call for musicians to perform for free, which we mounted a campaign around. That was actually the beginning of the Work Not Play campaign. But I saw a brilliant cartoon online the other day saying, uh, oh, uh, thanks for offering me the gig for exposure. That's great because my rent is exactly eight exposures. (laughs) And the, the thing is, as a musician, you have to 
treat it like a business. It is a business. And you've got to make sure that you can actually make ends meet and you can cover your rent and you can live. You know, you should be able to make a living from it. That's what we're here for. So what would you advise if a musician is being approached to do an exposure gig? What, what's your guidelines? What do you say to musicians? Well, I know that Hannah mentioned that once she was approached to do some work for free and then she turned around and said, I'm really sorry, but I just can't afford to do this work for free. And she was actually paid for it. So they did come up with a fee when she asked for it. So I think sometimes you have just got to ask. Also, if you're being approached to work for free for a charity, then we say, well, the charity should pay the artist the appropriate fee and then it's up to the artist to decide how much of that they want to donate back to the charity, if at all. That choice should be with the artist. And do you find that financial struggles are common in musicians? Absolutely. Yeah, really common. Unfortunately, a lot of our members will hit up against some problems at some point in their career, whether it's somebody not paying them or whether it's, uh, you know, that they're not able to meet a tax bill because they haven't prepared for it. It's really tricky as a freelancer because you are completely solo. But as MU members, we have a lot of advice and support and legal advice when our members need it. So yeah, can you tell me more about the support that the Musicians Union offers? Well, one of the most popular benefits that perhaps isn't that well known about is the unpaid fee recovery service so if you don't get paid for a gig or you don't get paid for some teaching work or session work whatever it is we'll actually chase the money for you um so in the first instance we write a letter demanding payment within 14 days and if the engager or employer doesn't pay up then we'll actually take it to small claims court it helps us when the member has a contract in place but even if you've just got email correspondence confirming the gig and confirming the amount of money that you're due to be paid then we can chase it for you because so rarely do other contracts in place absolutely and quite often our members are having to chase individuals so it might be that you were booked for a wedding or it might be that you did some teaching work and it's actually the parents of the child that you're having to chase so it's not even necessarily a big business but big businesses are also guilty of not paying our members or not paying them Mm. on time so we're here to provide that kind of support but we also have free tax helpline for members we've got accountants who can offer advice and a lot of the services that we offer do kind of come back to money where somebody hasn't been paid appropriately or they've been asked to sign a contract that's going to swallow up all of their royalties in perpetuity So Hannah mentioned that she thought a mentor or a business advisor could have helped her with her financial challenges. In your opinion, how could the industry better support musicians with financial issues? Well, we've started a mentoring scheme actually specifically for female musicians to try and give them a leg up into the industry and so they can get peer-to-peer support. So there are some schemes like that out there, but not many. I think, you know, we're essentially here to provide that kind of business advice. So if you're a member of the union, that's all included in your membership. So you have got somewhere to go if you need advice or you hit upon a problem. So if someone was struggling to understand, for example, how to register their works with PRS or you know things, things like that that can be quite specific and, and complicated, are the MU able to help with that kind of challenge? Yeah, absolutely. We will t- actually talk our members through that process. But if you're a PRS member, then they'll do that for you as well. I think registering with PRS or PPL doesn't have to be something that you do passively. You can actually get in touch with them and be really proactive and make sure that you get the royalties due to you. I mean, that is, if I can offer one piece of advice to artists, that would be it. You know, when you register with PRS and PPL, reach out to them, make sure that you're registering your works properly and actually get advice. And you might find that they're willing to have a meeting with you and actually go through your list of works and make sure that you've registered them properly. So don't rely on someone else to do that for you. You've got to think like a business and make sure that you do that kind of thing proactively to make sure that there's not money that's due to you that you're missing out on. 
So you mentioned that the average salary for a musician is £20,000. Music is actually a huge earner for the UK government, which I think a lot of people don't really realise. I mean, exports alone are worth, I mean, worth £2.6 billion in 2017. Do you think the government could provide some kind of support for musicians um, financially in terms of tax breaks or development grants or even subsidising performances like we see in classical music? Well, I think that the Arts Council's got a big role to play here. So, I mean, we're always constantly lobbying for more money from the government for the arts. And I think this is probably quite a good time for us to make that case again. The thing is, with the arts, they generate £4.5 per year for the economy. So, you know, it should be a no-brainer for the government to invest in the arts. And also, it's a fantastic outlet for people. You don't have to have necessarily a formal education to make a success in the arts. Obviously, we're always lobbying for better music education. I think the government certainly has a role to play and really a very little amount of money in the arts compared to the kind of money that's put into the NHS and other core services. And it actually does generate money for for the economy. Do you think it's something that might happen? I think it is something that might happen. We think that this is a good moment to try and make that argument. Obviously, we've got a new government, so we're going to be approaching the uh, new chancellor and trying to make those arguments. We make those arguments all the time, but I think the Arts Council's just put out a draft 10-year strategy and they've obviously got a lot of quite lofty aims. Particularly, they want to really increase diversity and inclusivity in the music industry. And in order to really do that effectively, they're going to need some more money. And also with the rise of research into the arts health movement and the health benefits of engaging in music activities, I think that's a really compelling argument too. What, what's your thoughts on that? Well, we think the Department of Health should actually be putting some money aside for these kind of activities. So we've launched a campaign last year called The Musician Behind the Moment. And the campaign was about orchestral musicians. And even if you don't go to a classical concert, even if you're not a classical music fan, you might actually be engaging with orchestras more than you realise because they're on filmed soundtracks TV soundtracks, but also they do kind of deliver music into social and healthcare settings. They deliver music education. So they have got a great value to UK society, which, you know, the government obviously invests through the Arts Council. But we think that the Department of Health ought to be funding some of the activities that they do in hospitals, for example. We heard that Hannah doesn't currently have a pension and a lot of her friends are in a similar situation. Is this something that you hear regularly from musicians? Yeah, it's something that we're um, thinking about a lot at the moment because with the retirement age going, we're finding that musicians are actually working much longer and we talk about staying happier for longer. But in order to stay happy in your retirement, you've got to have some sort of provision to make sure that you can continue to live, uh, have a reasonable standard of living. So we would advise members to get a pension. We've got a, an MU pension scheme that we offer to members and actually even engagers of freelancers will sometimes put some money in uh, to, as a pension contribution. So it's definitely worth contacting us to get advice on that. So can you tell me a bit more about that MU pension scheme? Yeah, so it's a scheme that we run through Aviva in the West End, for example. Even though the musicians are freelance, we've actually negotiated a weekly pension contribution from the employers. So both the musician and the employer put some money in every week uh, as a pension contribution for those musicians. And what about if you're self-employed? If you're self-employed, you need to make sure that you're providing yourself. I mean, actually, musicians in the West End are self-employed, but because they're working for the same engager on a regular basis, we've managed to negotiate a pension contribution. But if you're self-employed, you need to try and make that provision yourself and you do need to try and put some money aside. If our members need pension advice and we can get that for them, we've got an accountant, a specialist who can talk them through it. 
Fantastic. So earlier on in the podcast series, we spoke to the Baby Shambles drummer, Adam Fajek. He was talking about a really complex legal battle he was in and how ridiculously expensive the legal fees were. Do you know of any services that can help musicians with legal fees? Well, we cover legal fees if somebody's a member of the union and there's a legal battle, if there's at least a 50% chance of, the, of success, then we will actually fund it for our members. Wow. So we take on copyright cases, for example. Um, I've mentioned we go to small claims court, but we have all sorts of different legal cases that we will take on. It's crucial that there's a 50% chance of success because, frankly, if there's less than a 50% chance of success, it's not worth going through that process. It's not worth it for the individual musician and it wouldn't be worth it for us. It actually wouldn't be a good use of the funds that we get from members. So we have to kind of make that call, but our lawyers will always advise on what the chances of success are. So can you tell me a little bit about the union's role in structuring and negotiating fees for musicians across different disciplines and areas of work? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got many collective bargaining agreements. So as a trade union, we're able to go into workplaces and actually negotiate rates of pay. And we negotiate things like pension contributions and maternity pay and paternity leave and that sort of thing. Obviously, in a traditional workplace where the musicians are employed, like in an orchestra, for example, a lot of those benefits will be in place. But As a union that represents 90% freelance workers, we also have to negotiate with engagers across the whole industry. So, for example, we've got uh, rates that we publish that are gig rates, we've got teaching rates that we publish, and we do negotiate with individual engagers to try and make sure that the minimum rates are, are met. So we heard earlier in the series from Nina Nesbitt, who was suddenly dropped by her record label. And obviously for session players, this happens a lot. You know, they can be playing for a high profile band and just suddenly get dropped with no warning. Does the MU negotiate or or advise companies on that whole process and, and what the sort of best practice is around suddenly dropping people? In that situation, I guess we would advise the musician on their contract and what their rights are. I mean, this is one of the reasons that a lot of our members have portfolio careers. It's so that if one element of their work kind of falls away, there's still other areas that are generating income. So hopefully that shouldn't be your sole source of income. But yeah, that obviously has an impact on people's mental health and well-being. And it is really problematic. So I mean, we would always offer advice in those sorts of situations, but it would depend on the individual circumstances. Mm. I think especially in the pop session world, if you're involved in the band for a huge artist, you know, you're touring the world and there's just no space to do another job. Um, so I mean, I know personally of somebody who was, who was dropped very, very suddenly and you know has a huge impact financially on her career and, and where she goes next. I think with session musicians, if you're booked for a major tour, you've got a certain number of dates confirmed so if you were dropped suddenly and that's you know we've we've dealt with situations like that and we have been able to negotiate a certain payment a kind of severance payment so that they're still paid for a certain period of time and they can look for other work. So finally you mentioned before about if you could offer one piece of advice um, to musicians what advice would you give to a new artist coming through with regards to how to manage their finances? Somebody mentioned to me that they actually put a fifth of their earnings aside for tax. So I think if you're self-employed, that's really good advice, actually, to have a separate account and just save some money for that so that you don't get hit with a massive tax bill. I think you've got to be really business-minded, which I know is really hard when you're entering the industry. You know, you're not necessarily that well-informed early on. If you join the MU, we can provide the business advice that you need. Um, So I think you've got to be quite confident about asking for money. And, you know, if somebody tells you when we can't 
can't pay you for this or we can only pay you a very small fee. You've got to try and negotiate, which I know is really hard, but it's something that you've just got to do because at the end of the day, don't undersell yourself. You know, you deserve to be paid. This is If this is what you're going to do as a career, you've got to treat it like a career and you've got to find a way to make a living. Amazing. Thank you so much, Naomi. If you want to access any of the funds that we've spoken about today, or if you need more general help managing your money, please check out the show notes below this episode where we've put links to the appropriate services. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment and subscribe on iTunes as it helps other musicians find us. And of course, you can get in touch on social media at Elevate Music Pod or on email at elevatemusicpod at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by Elevate Music and Wise Buddha in partnership with Help Musicians. Thanks for listening and see you next time.